Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the podcast. Today is a topic that was hotly requested by the community, as it were. A while back, uh, me and Yoris recorded a Meet the Team podcast, and we answered some community questions in regards to how the game functions, the tech side of it. And it got over so well that we figured we might as well bring in the two people who know the tech best. That would be Yoris and Lauren, and I'm going to just let them loose on the topic. So today, we're going to be discussing the netcode and essentially how to keep an MMO afloat. Gentlemen, welcome. Thank you, thank you. Thank you, Svetlin. So, um, with that in mind, we have a couple of topics we want to discuss uh, that you guys picked out as something that interests you. So, lead in with um, the proxy zones. What are the proxy zones? All right, well, those are technically two different things, Svetlin. <laughs> Proxies and zones, I know. I have just written it down badly because I'm a fantastic host. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you want to jump in, Lauren? Go for it. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, you know, I, I, I thought I'd give the basics, right? So, um, basically, when you look at the big picture of hosting an MMO, um, there's a couple of challenges that you run into, and one of which is that despite the fantastically powerful server hardware that we have today, uh, that still does not mean you can host like a hundred thousand live players in a single world on a single machine. So we're always dealing with the fact that we're going to need more than one server to host all these players. In fact, we're going to need a hell of a lot more servers than that. Uh, and this is kind of where zones and proxies come in. And, uh, you know, I'd actually pass it off to yours, have him uh, maybe talk about that a little bit about, you know, why we have these zone servers, which should be pretty clear given the fact that you know we cannot have you all on one server so we must somehow spread it and then how proxies come in and how they do their magic to uh, somehow create an experience where despite us having you on many different servers you still have some kind of a consistent game experience all right so a zone is basically a game server it, it manages a part a zone of the game map so if you're in a city, that city might be managed in a specific zone server. And the proxy is what you connect to, which then proxies or forwards your messages to the right zone, the right area you are in the, or, or in the game. So when you're moving around, you might move from zone to zone, but you always stay connected to the same proxy. So the proxy forwards then, then forwards your messages to the new zone you're in, like when you moved out of the city. Um, and that happens completely seamlessly. So you transition from one server to another without actually realizing because the game client stays connected to the proxy. You never reconnect to a different server. It just forwards it to a different zone. Hope that yeah. makes sense. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, I think. And, and actually kind of harkening back to something that I discussed with Svetlin on another podcast um, was this notion of like in the olden days, like in games like Neocron, which I worked on, uh, when this type of technology was not yet available, uh, we literally had like things like synchronizing and loading between the different zones of the world, right? Uh, so you were literally walking through this virtual border and then suddenly it was like, oh crap, we need to put you on another server. 
And also, I think what's probably interesting to maybe touch on uh, yours is that you're not necessarily only connected to one zone at a time, are you, right? You might also be seeing things in other zones, right? Yeah, so it's it's a bit of an edge case, but if you are on the edge between two zones, so you're about to leave the city, but you're technically still in the city, uh, at that point, the proxy forwards your messages to basically two zones, to the one in the city and the one just outside of the city. So you get updates from, from both at the same time, but the client would never realize or notice. It, it's all a seamless experience. So if I'm understanding correctly from a user's perspective, that means that as you're approaching the border of one game zone going into another, instead of you know waiting for a loading screen, the game determines where you're going and dynamically loads what you're heading towards, correct? Yes. yes. Oh, succinct. Pretty easy to explain. Yeah. And to some extent, even more cool, it's, it's almost a proxy that is doing the thinking for you and says, you know what, everything that's just outside of the city, I should start sending you data about that so you can actually see it, you know, so that when you step outside of the city, it isn't like suddenly out of nowhere, a giant gruff boss appears in front of you <laughs> and smacks you in the face. Uh, which, you know, may sound funny, but in some of these olden days MMOs, there was no such thing as cross-zone connectivity. So the best thing we could kind of do is like put like a little dark alleyway between two zones, right? Where there would not usually be anything there to smash you in the face when you switch from server to server. <laughs> yeah, or the really long elevators. <laughs> Every game, the long elevator rides. Ah, the long I mean, it's a little rides. bit different in an MMO because of the connection issues, but like loading and streaming in data is so obvious in older games. <laughs> oh yeah, very true, very true. I mean, obviously there's more than just like, you know, the networking data that needs to come in. You need to load data into that other zone. And indeed, that means that even single player games have these, you know, typical like, you know, the Mass Effect elevator ride <laughs> where, 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 you know, where... Where depending on you know how powerful your PC is, you can either spend five seconds in this elevator or five <laughs> minutes in it, right? They have very variable speeds depending on what player is in the elevator. <laughs> <laughs> so how do we make sure that people have... Because Ember Sword is going to be a social game, correct? Well, for the most part, you're going to be in a party. How do we ensure that people have such a seamless seamless experience when they're essentially on different internet connections? So that kind of touches into, I guess, a little bit of latency correction and how we deal with slow connections in general, right? Just just making sure that everything feels seamless, even if you have a really slow and shitty internet connection. Um, so the proxy partially comes into play here. I'm going to do my very best to explain this as easily as possible, but it's a little bit complicated. Um, because it's an MMO, we host the server in one like centralized location. So for example, in the Netherlands, which is a common place to, to host servers. So if you're connecting from Spain, you go to your internet service provider, and then you go over the public internet all the way to the Netherlands, and then connect to the server, which comes with a certain amount of latency. What we can do is we can host the zones, which are the game server and the game logic, host those in the Netherlands, and then put a proxy in Spain. So you connect from Spain to the Spanish proxy, and then it goes over a private network connection, for example, from the Google data center, over the private internet connection all the way to Amsterdam. So the latency actually gets reduced because of this proxy uh, setup as well. And then you want to touch on the other one, Lauren? 
Oh yeah, no, no, I think think that was a very succinct sort of description of uh, of indeed how proxies help you reduce latency. It's kind of like you know we can put proxies around the world and they're your you know your local linkage to then a high speed link to the zones, right? But you know then obviously a latency correction comes in, which I think you know is 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 also equally interesting. So you know you maybe you take that one away yours, and I'll I'll complement as we go. All right, sure. Um... So some latency is obviously unavoidable, right? That's just physics. So to make it feel nice for the player, there's some things we can do, which is, for example, client-side prediction. So what we can do on the client is figure out if a client can do a certain thing on the client itself. So I have enough health, I have enough mana, so I can probably do this attack. We can figure that out in the client, and then we just start playing that attack already and simultaneously send a message to the server, and then we wait for the server to confirm if that was actually correct or not. If our prediction was wrong and we weren't allowed to do that ability, we basically roll back the client. So we, we undo that ability that you were about to do. Um, if it is correct, you could just continue to let it play. Um, and then the, the animations on the game client and on the server will actually line up. So when your sword hits a creature, it actually deals damage at that same time, um, regardless of how much latency you have. Yeah, very true. And and one of the interesting things about that is actually, you know, kind of in in an MMO game like that on the client side, it's almost like we're doing a lot of bookkeeping just so we can kind of roll things back if we get it wrong. But the beauty of things is that in reality, obviously, we don't get it wrong very often. Like, you know, 99% of the time, that prediction that you're able to do that, unless you're cheating, right? You know, then your game experience is, you know, you deserve to have your game experience ruined if you're doing that. Right? <laughs> but unless you're cheating, 99% of the time we're in the right so what the game client is showing you is working out perfectly and you're seeing a beautiful smooth movement even though you know for another player that attack might happen a little later or a little earlier or you know etc etc right these uh these kinds of things don't matter in the grand scheme of thing things as long as we on the one hand offer a smooth experience and on the other hand keep what we you know what we in gaming refer to as an authoritative server which basically means the server is the big boss of everything that happens right you can't be a client and say and funny notion i uh i've, I've worked on some games where you could that do that in fact when i originally uh was in 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 the beta test of uh of neocron there was a distinct example of something that we would call non-server authoritative or even client authoritative <laughs> logic in there which was basically in this packet that you sent when you damaged someone so basically in neocron they thought it would be very helpful to you know when you dealt damage to a player to send a nice little package to the server saying i hit yoris for nine thousand points of damage and then you know, the funny thing is that in the initial logic, you know, just to save time, some of the network programmers were just like, yeah, why would anyone lie about that? Let's just deal 9,000 damage to yours whenever someone <laughs> says that. So somewhere mid-beta, I figured out that I could also send that package and just include the list of all the players in the entire zone and say, I did unlimited damage to everyone. And then everyone would drop dead. <laughs> 
which was really bad for uh, they had a p like a pk gauge like player killing gauge with which was called soul light that would obviously diminish if you were randomly murdering your fellow citizens as you can imagine upon me sending a couple of these packets in a 200 player zone my soul light hit sort of a negative infinity number um uh, but like that is the difference between you know server authoritative versus client authoritative so what we're doing with ember sword is in the end if our server says no no you're a liar you couldn't have hit him you couldn't have used that ability obviously we will just rewind whatever happened on the client to make it right again and that is one of the you know key tenets of designing a let's say a secure mmo how would that look like in gameplay terms that rewind Actually, like one thing, just quickly throwing in. Sure, I mean, Neocron was an older game, right? But even um, the Division, which is a AAA game, had yeah. client-side authoritative uh, network models. Seriously? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm pretty sure it was about um, like how much ammo you had in your gun and like things like that. So you never had to reload; you could just keep shooting, and it was just. Oh my yep. god, it would be soft. Why? I, yeah, it's, it's, it's really scary, but there were like also, for example, around the time of Counter-Strike Global Offensive and such, there were like, you know, Counter-Strike clones in Korea and, and also some indeed AAA games that just shipped with peer-to-peer -peer even, client authoritative, obviously, because when it's peer-to-peer, -peer, there's not even a server involved. It's just all the clients are connecting to each other and saying, shall we play a game together? And then, you know, literally one of those clients would just simply say to all the other clients yeah i just stabbed you in the back for a million damage and everyone would drop dead and you know obviously when it comes to hacking these games are a scourge to play um i, I would say almost at some point for for hobby purposes i contributed to it but no one saw those in public where i was just literally sitting together with a group of like uh, guys who really loved breaking games horribly and we took this uh <laughs> korean game called war rock which was basically a counter-strike clone and oh, that was entirely peer-to-peer. Yeah. -peer. Oh, you remember that one? Oh, I remember it, is, it yeah. It, is, it was so brilliant. You, oh, I, I, I can see if we can still dig up one of the hacks. But basically, their main form of security was Punkbuster, which was checking if you were not modifying any of the instructions in your executable, right? <laughs> so instead, I built like a, um, a program that used the hardware breakpoints in your CPU. So there's this thing that basically allows you to halt your processor on a particular instruction that's literally in the hardware of your processor and then you can just stop it you can change whatever is in the memory of the processor and you can continue it along a bit further and this was completely undetectable by punkbuster and just allowed us to change anything that was happening in the network packets in the world so i literally had for example one button on my keyboard and when i pressed it my character would be placed about a mile underneath the game world with all the other players in a circle around me just in order of player id doing the animation that they were doing in the real world and then i would just take out my knife and decide who had to die <laughs> and, and you know i could also just drop a grenade on the floor there and my game client would basically tell you all players in the server died because a grenade exploded at their feet so i think this is a good example why server authoritative is, is the way to go <laughs> yeah exactly exactly but it it is shocking right that even like on very modern games like the division um sometimes even just by accident maybe not even intentionally people think oh you know uh, it probably won't be harmful to do that stuff on the client and then <laughs> suddenly someone has infinite ammo and no reload wonderful Oops. <laughs> <laughs> Well, to to get back to to the question that you know applies to 
somebody like me who uh, has a vague understanding of the systems at best, how does the rolling back look in gameplay terms? Once, um, you know, for example, the, the server determines that, no, this should not happen. I mean, it, it looks a little bit jarring to the player. There's really no way around it. Like, look, imagine you start... Uh, we, we have one ability where you like jump to a location and you crash on the ground and you do a bunch of damage on impact. Like, imagine the client predicts that it can do that and then it jumps forward to where it's about to crash land, but then the server says, nope. So then we have to reset you to where you were, right? We have to roll you back to, to a proper location. So it, it's always going to look a bit jarring but as long as the prediction is good, then it would really only happen if you have a lot of latency uh, or you're cheating. Yeah, exactly. Sort of the trick of a lot of these things is that you almost never see them happen. Hence, uh, it's like, oh crap, I had a lag spike and something's jumped, right? And that occurs to you, you know, once, twice a day. Um, and, uh, you know, that, that typically is kind of the peak of that experience. I did, though, want to like dive back into the proxy and, and zone part a little bit because I didn't want to let yours off that easy, right? Because because obviously yours was saying, like, yeah, it's kind of like a zone is a city, and then when you step outside of the city, you're in another zone, right? But, you know, I, I just wanted to show people that the rabbit hole goes just a little bit deeper than that because, you know, obviously yours, as you may imagine, like, you know, uh, what if 10,000 people decide to go into that city? Uh, do we then have that same problem or is it really the case that we're operating on a slightly different level than just cities? <laughs> um, I mean, we can, we can go that deep, sure. Um, so, so in the scenario of a lot of people gathering in, in one place, like a city, we can actually do two things. We can either subdivide our zone so basically, we just split the zone to multiple servers and then offload people onto those servers, right? So we make more smaller zones, which each is its own server, so then we can handle more players, if that makes sense. Um, another option is sharding, which basically means we spin up an entirely new universe and then put people in the new universe, essentially, right? And then people in different universes or in different shards can't see each other. Yeah, exactly. Well, it, it might be a good comparison for people, maybe like if we keep the sharding on the side, because that's, I think, a well understood notion that if you just create an additional world, right, that we have plenty of space for new players in that world. But the interesting bit is actually that when you look at what a zone server does, a zone is not actually technically a city. A zone is responsible for a bunch of cells of you know, the world, a bunch of like almost rectangles of the game world uh, that are living inside that zone server. So actually, technically, when you say, a, you know, a zone uh, is like a city, that probably just means that particular zone server is owning all the sort of rectangles of the game world, all the squares of the game world that happen to make up that city. But uh, the beautiful... Fair enough. Yep. Yeah, exactly. But the beautiful thing is actually um, that um, if you look at the way these zone servers work, is they can kind of pass these little puzzle pieces of the world, you know, back and forth along them saying, hey, you take care of this now. It's getting too busy for me. So realistically, actually, it's, you know, that city might be composed out of like a thousand little puzzle pieces of the world, some no much bigger than a screen, right? And the zone servers could decide to rebalance those amongst each other in order to ensure that they could serve a large amount of players. Yeah, 
Yeah, there, there's obviously uh, a bit of overhead of having to move players from one server to another. So we try to avoid this as much as possible. So in, in most cases, it's easiest to just take the entire zone and just split it up into four. Um, and then, you know, load people off into, into the different servers. And then you can subdivide a few times until it gets so small that you get to the single cellular level. Like one cell is roughly one screen size. At that point, you just can't divide any smaller, uh, and then you have to start sharding. Yeah, 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 although the upside is usually that, you know, if you look at it's the amount un, of players... It's very rare. <laughs> yeah, if it's you look at the impossible. amount of players that fit on a screen, <laughs> you know, you could serve all of those from a single machine. <laughs> yeah. And that's, yep. that's a good thing. That's kind of how we do what we like to call infinite scalability, right? Kind of this notion of, well, you know, you just physically cannot pack enough players together in order to overload our servers. <laughs> because we'll just, you know, that place where you've packed all these players together that, you know... You know, just that one screen will be handled by one whole server just dedicated to that screen if we have to. It's not ideal, but, you know, don't mess with us. <laughs> don't don't put out that challenge. Somebody is definitely going to take it up. Uh -huh. Although, if you, if you think you have around 10 million friends to dump on Ember Sword to try and crash us, please, by all means, be our guest. <laughs> Fair enough, yeah. Yeah, we would love to see that happen in the bed, actually. That's our challenge to you. Like, make these servers come down. I mean, <laughs> just see if we can pile up 10,000 people on the screen. We welcome you to try that challenge. We double dog dare you. <laughs> We're going to regret this. I'm the topest <laughs> tier of dog. I know, I know, but we will dedicate a podcast or a video to it, you know, you know, Scout's Honor, when <laughs> our early Access fans get to that point and, like, just, you know, downright nuke our server by every one of them standing on top of a tiny little rock together or something. I'm already looking forward to it. <laughs> we just made Yoris's Nights in Future very, very long mm -hmm. by doing mm -hmm. this. There go my evenings. I'm sorry, man. <laughs> so um, there was one more thing in the docket uh, I wanted to discuss, which uh, you guys suggested, which is something called areas of interest. Yeah, yeah, that was something that we actually um, touched upon uh, kind of already. Um, but when you talk about something like an area of interest, that has everything to do with those little cells in the zone, right? The area of interest is really nothing more than saying, hey, if I'm standing near the edge of the city, right, I should be able to see outside of it. Uh, and thus, that area outside the city is in my area of interest. And so somehow this proxy server that is funneling all this game data to me should be really smart and should be connecting the zone to the zone server that has that area in it, right? That has that cell in it and say, hey, I want that data to now also be sent to Lauren because he needs to see what's there. So we kind of, you know, covered it uh, just indirectly through talking through the proxy and zone. And there is, by the way, something interesting about this, and it's another way, <laughs> you know, just to make things a little easier for yours when everyone comes in with 10,000 players and tries to crash the game. Areas of interest is actually also a way we can scale the load on the network and the load for you for like your uh, experience as a player. So if you come into areas that are extremely busy, extremely densely populated, we can, if necessary, kind of shrink your area of interest saying, hey, you know, anything that's like 
even a little bit off screen we're maybe not interested in or you know anything that's not close enough to the player to be directly interacting with them you know maybe we want to give less updates per second of that like instead of 30 yeah. you know yeah, I was we'll about to bring 10 that updates up, yeah. for that yeah we can do throttling in really busy areas we can just like in in the city maybe you only get 10 updates per second but then outside of the city in a combat scenario you bump back up to the normal 30. so in in terms of that once inevitably thousands of people try and occupy one space we we've touched upon this in a sense right where i know that since the game is isometric there is only so many people that can fit on a single screen but yeah exactly we're counting on that to save yours this ass big <laughs> <laughs> so if i'm understanding correctly um even with the maximum amount of players on screen there shouldn't be any noticeable slowdown provided your internet connection is good right I would say, yeah. and your graphics card isn't choking yes. up from having like <laughs> 900 bloody players on the screen that are all doing special abilities and trying to crash your computer. But, you know, th there is such a, like, there is an extent to which we as game developers can, you know, try to accommodate. And then eventually, you know, if you're playing on your grandpa's PC and there's 900 players going around the screen, yeah, you may not be in for the greatest time, regardless. Uh, we'll just try to make it as best as possible. <laughs> but there is limits. Of course, but again, we've maintained this, and every time, you know, this uh, this particular topic has been brought up, we've maintained that we're going to be trying our best, and really that's all we can hope for, right? Definitely, definitely. Hell yeah. Okay, well, that, I guess, uh, covers the topics we had lined up for today. Do you guys have anything else that you want to discuss before we wrap this up? I don't know yours. Are you getting nervous yet with what we've put in motion I mean, here? I'm starting to sweat a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> okay, good, good, good. So I suggest that next week's podcast, we, uh, I don't know, we cover uh, ways you might try to fork our blockchain and ruin, you know, ownership of items and, and uh, you know, a few more issues like that, yours. Maybe we can uh, already start, uh, like, uh, preparing the community for potential rewards uh. for early access players <laughs> that manage to really break all the stuff you're doing. This this, this has been great. Um. <laughs> <laughs> My pleasure. <laughs> yours was just disappeared, never to be heard from again. <laughs> <laughs> this turned into the X-Files real quick. Okay, well, I guess this wraps up the podcast. Thank you, gentlemen, for participating. Thank you for shedding some light on how Ember Sword's world works in terms of the tech behind it, in terms of the netcode. And thank you for shedding light on what people might expect once they inevitably <laughs> land in a zone with 10 quadrillion people in it. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Our <laughs> pleasure, Svetlin. I can, I can just hear the trepidation in your voice. <laughs> I'm sorry for the nightmares. So yeah, thank you. Thank you for participating. Hey you, you made it to the end. Congratulations. That must mean you like us enough to want more, right? Well, good news. We're all over the internet. Go to embersword.com and subscribe to our newsletter for a chance to play the game early, as well as the latest interesting tidbits on the game and the team. Join our lovely Discord community over at discord.gg slash embersword. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at PlayEmbersword for regular updates on what we're up to. And remember the basics. Drink water, be kind to each other, and spread the word about Embersword.